0: When I was younger, I grew up in a family of five, mom, dad, three boys. My older brother uh, lived to be 16 years of age before the Lord would call him uh, home. Uh, so it was my brother and I, and my brother, younger brother and I are very, very different people. And he's got incredible gifts. He's an academic. He's an incredible student. And, uh, and I'm a goofball. And uh, growing up we had another hardship that was difficult for us to navigate And that was we were, we were born 13 months apart from one another So they call them Irish twins if you will And that really became difficult for my brother when my parents would leave And I would pontificate to him that I was in charge That being the older brother I was the one who would set the rules, the regulations That I was the one who had authority And my brother uh, would sit there and look at this older goofball brother and he would utter the same words and I can hear them as if they are happening right now. Tim, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. You're not in charge. You're not the authority. And we would argue and we would fight and we would never get to the answer of who was in charge and mom and dad would finally come back home. And yet, we see that in families, but even more today, we see that issue in churches, where a group of people will say, We're in charge. And another group of people will say, You're not the boss of me. You're not in charge. You're not in control. You're not in authority. Well, this morning, I want to talk about who's in charge in the church. For these last weeks, we've been in this series that we've entitled Rediscover Church, and we're rediscovering who we are as a church, and we're rediscovering things that maybe we just assume. Maybe we just assume, or, or maybe we misassume. We think we know how it goes. We think we've got an idea, but we don't. And so the leadership of the church said it would be great to kick off this new ministry year focused on our times in small groups and in the pulpit to remind people who we are as a church, why we are that type of church, and how we seek to follow God's standard and God's guidelines to that end. And today, we want to know who is the boss of me? Who is in charge when it comes to the church? To do so, we've got to answer some questions this morning. We've got to address some things. And there's a ton. I'm going to have the AV team doing hurdles back there, trying to keep up with all the blanks that we're going to try to fill And so I want to remind you in your bulletins, there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to address today. And I want you to look to that QR code. We have written lots of great information about the different roles of leadership, whether it's our deacon team, which we call our ministry directors, whether it's the wives of our elders and the role, the unique role they play, especially in the lives of the women of our church. And there's so much there that uh, after the service, maybe throughout your day and throughout your week, that you would take time to take a look at that and rediscover some of the things maybe that you were unaware of when it comes to church leadership. But this morning, I want to look at two passages this morning, and I want to look at them and understand what leadership in the church should look like. To do so, we're going to look at Titus chapter 1 first. Titus chapter 1, and then we're going to go over to 1 Peter chapter 5, And we're going to understand from these two church examples how Village Bible Church should establish its leaders, what they should look like, what they should be involved in, and how they can minister to the church in a way that will provide the church the stability and health that it so desperately needs. Titus chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order... And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If any one is above reproach, the husband of one wife and and his children are believers that are not open to charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But he is to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Turn in your Bibles now to 1 Peter for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, If you're in the chair Bibles, you'll find our passage on page 1016. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is where we're going to start in our study, and then we'll get back to Titus. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, when he appears, you elders will receive an unfading crown of glory. Let's stop there. These two passages lay forth, and there's another passage, by the way, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that speak to the role and the qualifications and the ministry of church leaders that we call elders. And as we look at what is what I'm going to talk about first is the correct form of church leadership, we need to recognize that as we look at leadership models, there's a lot of ways we can look at them. We can go to the Fortune 500 companies and we can look and say what we need is a really really good CFO and CEO. One who deals with the finances and one who deals with the executive decisions of Of the church. That's what we need to do. We need to get a board of trustees that make decisions and determine the direction of the company. We look to sports teams and we say what we need is a great front office that's doing good drafting of people. We need to get a good on field manager who's going to take care of the day in and day out decisions of the team. We need to go after the MVP type players. We need to look for the proper prospects. You see, we can go all over the place. We can go to the educational world and find superintendents and principals and teachers. But the Bible says that none of those examples work. Where we've got to go is we've got to go to the Scriptures and ask the question, how does God want His church to be led? I want to put this definition up for us to look at. The Bible establishes that while Jesus Christ is the only head of the church... Each local church is to be led by a group of spiritually mature men called elders who are gifted to teach and shepherd the flock under their care. They are given charge to lead in matters of doctrine, direction, and discipline. For the sake of just our personal experience here, your campus, the Sherwood Grove campus, is led by almost 30 elders Across the six campuses of Village Bible Church, there are over 50 elders that lead and guide to the ministry of teaching and shepherding. The question is, why is that? Why do we have that? Well, now we go to Titus. Stay in First Peter, because I'm going to get there. But Titus, tells, or, Titus is told by Paul that he is to straighten out the things that remain kind of open. And that phrase straightened out in Titus is where we get our word orthodontist from. It's the Greek word where we get the idea of the one who straightens our teeth. To give you an idea this morning, friends, the, the church is a place full of crooked people. We're crooked. We're out of shape. We're, we're bent the wrong way. We, we should be pointing one way and we're, we're pointing another And God says, I need individuals who are going to go in and they're going to start to straighten things out. Now, right away, listen to me very carefully. Your elders are crooked. If you stop there, if that gets on TikTok, we're in trouble. But your elders are sinful. They're selfish individuals at heart. And so we're going to learn how in the world are we to correct the crookedness of the church by using crooked leaders. What Paul is going to say, and Peter as well, two spiritual giants of the New Testament, they're going to say, we need you to pick out leaders who have a certain qualification that they have the ability, listen, that they have shown under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to figure out where they're crooked and help by the grace of God to straighten themselves out and to be able to point people how to get straight as well. To do so, we've got to look at 1 Peter. And 1 Peter tells us what the correct form of leadership is, and it involves three things. Number one, it involves maturity. Maturity. When we talk about leaders, we need to talk about men of maturity. And here's why. It's all going to come straight from the Bible. So that's why I want you in First Peter. Notice what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder that word elder or elders is the greek word presbyteros presbyteros it is where we get uh, the word presbyterian so you drive by a presbyterian church it is a church that is governed by elders presbyteros literally means one of maturity it could speak of one with gray hairs, but it speaks more of their conduct, their, their stature. This is an individual who is mature. This is an individual who has sobriety to them. The Bible says we need men who are sober about spiritual things. The second thing that we need to understand is that this role involves responsibility. So maturity, now responsibility. Notice in verse 2 of 1 Peter 5, he says that we are, these elders are, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Let's stop there. That word shepherd is the Greek word poimon, and that literally means one who nourishes, feeds, and supplies. It's where we get the word pastor from. Elders pastor now we've turned that around we've said pastors do all the ministry Really elders have the job of pastoring. That's why here at Village Bible Church. The name elder and pastor are synonymous What we have is lay elders and staff elders. We have lay pastors and staff pastors, but our roles are the same This is our responsibility Notice there's another part of our role or our job and that is authority Authority notice he goes on in verse 2 and he says your job is to exercise Oversight that word there is to be Overseers that is the greek word Episcopoi it's where we get the word episcopal church from And this word means to look upon to inspect to oversee to look after to rule to lead to guide, So if you take all of these verses together in 1 Peter and ask, what is a church elder and what is he to do? This is the definition we would come up with. An elder is a spiritually mature man who's knowledgeable in the Scriptures, officially recognized by the local church to work with other elders in exercising oversight and shepherding God's flock. Now let's leave that for, for a second and recognize that you can't come to church today and say, by the way, everybody, here's an announcement, I'm an elder. The men that serve as elders have officially been recognized by this church. The process of joining the elder team, just so you're aware, starts every January as men are brought to the attention of the elders by the congregation, where they are brought to uh, be nominated for no other better word, And then for the next six months, starting in January through the month of June, they are evaluated under these things. Are they people of maturity? Are they people of responsibility? Will they carry the right kind of authority? Their lives are looked at and and dug into. They meet with other elders to talk about the role and all of that. Then during the summer months, we begin to start sharing their names with their small groups, with the people they do ministry with, to ask them, what is your two cents about it? So that the members of the church in August can begin the process of electing them as elders. It's quite a process because we take eldering here at Village Bible Church incredibly seriously. And here's why. Because 1 Peter 5 says that when Jesus Christ shows up, we're all going to be judged. The congregants, you the congregation, you're going to be in the express judgment, ten items or less. And you're gonna funnel through, and Jesus is gonna high five you at the end of it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your, the rest that I've given you. But then there's gonna be another line. It's gonna be the slow line, and it's gonna be the elder line. It's gonna be the pastor line. And there, not only are you gonna be evaluated and judged for what you did for yourself and your personal faith in Jesus Christ, but there's gonna be a second criteria here, elders. And that thing is going to be, all right, Tim, we've done you. Now let's talk about Village Bible Church. How did you shepherd my flock? How did you take care of my people? The people I went to the cross for The people I love The people I call my bride How did you do at managing And caring and shepherding And overseeing that flock And so we want to make sure We've got the right men Because the Bible says we will be judged In the process This is serious business Now right away Some of you start doing math in your head and you start doing math and saying, you know what? I'm not sure I like this. Maybe you're visiting village and you're like, you know, I've heard where leaders go go sideways and it causes great issues. So let's not give authority or power to the leaders. Let's just can, can we just give them the responsibility? And so congregants start having this conversation. They start doing this. We need pastors and elders. We need people to take care of us when bad things happen. Uh, We need people to lead Bible studies and and to lead prayer times We need people to lead the programs of the church So we need those elders to do that But what we don't want them to do is have any authority because when you give someone authority They abuse it. So let's not give them any authority and here's the math problem that comes up We give responsibility, but we don't give authority. You know what happens to the church? Anarchy Because what you've done is you've made them custodians, but they have no power or authority to speak into your life. This is where the church is the business and you're the consumer. And so we do whatever you want. Think about how that would work in the parental realm. If you carried as a parent all the responsibility and no authority, I can assure you there would be anarchy with your kids. And so the church needs to have men, spiritually mature men, who have the responsibility of ministry and the authority to speak into the life of people and the life of the church. Now, right away, there are elders, hopefully not here, but elders in churches that would say, but we've got our own math problem. And our math problem goes like this. Give us authority, take away our responsibility, we get tyranny." So there are elders that will say, you know what? I want to be on the board of directors. I want to make decisions. I want to determine what the church is going to do, when it's going to do it, how it's going to do it. I want to be a decision maker. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be around ministry. I, I, I'm a businessman. I make decisions. So that's what I want to do. Well, you put yourself in an ivory tower, and what you're going to have is dictatorial leadership that doesn't care about the flock. You see, the congregation can do math, leaders can do math. Here's the math that the Bible lays out responsibility plus authority equals stability. We need to give our leaders responsibility. Their job is to shepherd the flock. You should see your elders at the end of services, before services, at church gatherings, being with the people. It should never be, where are our elders? They're in a meeting all by themselves. I don't even know who the elders are. I've never seen them. I don't know them. You should be able to know them. Maybe you won't know all of them, but you should be able to know especially who your elder is. But then that elder is to have some authority. Now I want you to know the elder doesn't carry per se just authority by themselves, but collectively. And so the elder has the ability as a mature man who has been designated by the church to speak and to have authority to speak into the lives of the people. Now I want you to notice that it says in in 1 Peter to exercise oversight of the flock among you. I don't have authority. I don't have authority in churches outside of Village Bible Church because they haven't asked me to serve in that way. So our elders have oversight in the realm of Village Bible Church, in the realm of the spiritual lives of those who call Village Bible Church their home. So we've got to do the math right. We've got to get there. Now, let's notice a couple things about these men. First of all, these men must have a consuming call from God. How do you become an elder? Well, Paul tells Titus they are to go. We're going to be in Titus now. Paul tells Titus he needs to appoint elders, plural, into every city or town, singular. So the role of the eldering is not for one guy to do it, but many men to do it. And it begins first by many men desiring to serve God as an elder. Write this passage down, 1 Timothy 3, another passage about eldering. In 1 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says, if any man aspires to be an overseer, he aspires or desires a noble thing. So the first thing that we need to ask is, does this individual want to do it? This isn't a role that you just do because you're asked to do it. You should want to do it. The word aspire or desire there in 1 Timothy 3.1 literally means to stretch one's arms out to touch or grab hold of something. In the, in the New Testament, this word was used of a husband who desired to take hold of his wife in an affectionate way. And so it should not be slap the hand of the man who says, I would like to serve as an elder. Now, just because you have a desire doesn't mean that the church will give you that opportunity. But it begins there. We need men who desire this thing. This is a noble and praiseworthy yearning. It involves a heartfelt devo- devotion to the task. The role of appointing elders isn't just to find men who are looking for a seat at the table, but who long to spend time with the people of God. Eldering at Village Bible Church is 90% shepherding, 10% decisions. It's all about people. It's not an easy work. In fact, some of the most difficult situations, and listen, I also have a job in the quote-unquote real world, and I will tell you, eldering makes catering an easy occupation. Being an employer, easy to eldering. And here's why. Because as elders, we love the people. And because we love the people, and because we know our Bibles, our holiness is important. The holiness of God's people. We know eternity is a long time. And so our hearts break when people turn away from the Scriptures after their own pursuits and desires. It breaks our hearts. And we as elders have experienced great times of sorrow because of the difficult situations that our eldering has brought. We're not board members. We're not a board of directors. We are people who love the flock under our care. And it means, it means we're going to be up close To the sheep. One of the first books I read, some 20 now, 22 years since I've been an elder here at Village, was a book that was given to me that was called They Smell Like Sheep. And it was about eldering. And in that book, it says if you don't like the smell of sheep poop, don't be an elder. Because sheep are smelly, sheep bring their problems, sheep have issues. And so what you're doing is you're not just dealing with your own stuff But now you've taken on this calling that I because of my love for christ and my love for god's people The elder says i'm going to engage in helping them at their worst They're the nurses of the church right They're doing things that nobody else wants to do But they do it because of their calling they do it because they love. This involves a dedication to serve with other elders. This is really important. This dedication to serve with other elders gives this idea that we don't work by ourselves, but we work with others. Village Bible Church is not a church led by one person, it's not led by Tim Biddell. Get that out of your mind. I'm just the communications director. I serve as the mouthpiece of, of the elders. And so any elder that comes on needs to know and recognize that they are a part of a team. That they're a part of a team that is a serving the people of God. So what you will never hear, by the way, you'll never hear a decision by your elders that went 5-4, that went 7-3, that went 10-1 you will see decisions that are made by elders that is made by consensus, that is made that we speak as one voice. And if that means we've got to wrestle with things, if we've got to get to a place of unity, we're going to take the time to do so. Now, why would we do that? Can I just tell you, Village Bible Church would be served far more efficiently If you would just let Tim make all the decisions let me tell you how the meeting would go We call the meeting to order of Tim but the leader of village Bible Church first order of business We need to do this. Well, I think we should do this. That sounds like a great plan. Let's adjourn Very quick very efficient. The problem with singular leadership is I got a lot of blind spots I got a lot of places that I've not had experience with I I have a limited knowledge And so I need to bring a diverse uh, opinions and and experiences and, and knowledge to the table. You say, where does this come from? Did you guys just come up with this? The answer is it's found in the Godhead. We have diversity in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Diverse, distinct persons. But those three persons are one God. And so the elders are diverse men with diverse personalities, diverse personhoods. But when we come to the elder team, we form one collective voice. We come one collective leader under Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we lead, you can rest assured that this isn't a group of two or three guys making decisions, but it is the decisions that are thoughtful, prayerful, and work through a consensus of diverse opinions, thoughts, personalities, and people. And this is what the Bible wants for us. You see this all throughout the latter part of the book of Acts. Now what about the individuals? Let's just keep moving. What about the actual individuals? What are we looking for in an elder? Titus tells us. Titus says if you're going to elect elders, plural, in every city, singular, then each singular elder has a certain criteria that they are supposed to live under. Notice, first of all, they are to be above reproach. Titus chapter 1, verse 6. You are to be above reproach. That is, in in other words, you are to be blameless. Now, right away, you would say, I know elders here, they are not blameless. They are not perfect." So what is being communicated here? The emphasis is on the total sum of their lives, that the quality of life is one that is not open to accusation, that is not open uh, to calls that they are um, people of debauchery or sin. So in essence, notice what he's going to say. He's going to say, I want you to be blameless, and notice he's going to give a list of where we need to be above reproach, where there can't be accusation about the elder. We need to understand the very man who wrote this said this of himself. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And yet Paul had been saved by the grace of God, and now for a long period of time as he writes the book of Titus, has lived a faithful life. Life. So what are the qualifications? I don't have a lot of time to go through these, but let's organize them a bit. There are qualifications that he must meet morally. Morally. That is that a pastor, an elder, is to be one who is morally faithful. What that means is that an elder is the same at church as he is at home. He's the same at church as he is at work. He's the same in a small group as he is with his buddies in the community. That he's the same in an elders meeting as he would be on a business trip. That he's the same when he opens the word as he does as he opens his computer or technology. He is a morally faithful man consistent with the pattern of holiness that Jesus Christ has laid forth. How about domestically? domestically, Paul then moves to the house. And the reason why he does this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, how can a man lead the church if he can't manage his own house well? It's absurd. So the first church that the elder is supposed to oversee, by the way, all you husbands, you have a church, you're pastoring a church, it's called your home. And you are to be ministering and and taking care of your home and feeding and shepherding and exercising oversight in your home so there's not anarchy or tyranny in your home. And so Paul says domestically, we've got to look at your life. And so you look at, first of all, what's his life with his bride? And this is where we get an unfortunate translation because Titus, our translation says here in Titus 1, he is to be a husband of one wife. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is we've added a marital qualification that in the original language is not there. In the original Greek, it is a one woman man. It doesn't speak so much about a marital standing as it does the quality of the relationship that the man has. The one woman man literally means that he has eyes only for his wife, It speaks of a sexual and romantic fidelity to his bride. Now here's why we would not take that as a marital qualification. If we take it as our English translations translate, then we've got a problem. First of all, it means that no single man can serve as an elder. And here's the problem. The man writing these qualifications is a single man. So how can he write about qualifications that he himself can't even meet is absurd. The second thing that we would have to say is, if it is a man who is to have one wife, it would mean then that any of our elders who, God forbid, would take one of their wives home in death would have to cease being an elder. Now listen, this hits close to home. I have a father who's been an elder since I was in my junior high years. Faithfully served... The guy's on fire for the lord him and my mom served faithfully in the church all the years that I can remember Well, two years ago in august my mom died Did my dad's eldering die with her? If we make it a marital qualification. Yes, it does. My dad needed to step down from it I don't believe that to be the case the other problem that it creates is That it would allow men To serve as elders who have terrible but persistent marriages So a guy who's brutal to his wife a guy who has all kinds of eyes for every other woman around But is still married is qualified to be an elder and it doesn't matter the quality of his marriage that seems absurd So we would say that is this man Living in such a way with his wife that he is faithful and affectionate towards his bride He has eyes only for her now for you theological students out there you're like but you're missing something what about divorce guys what about divorce what does divorce do well divorce again would be a marital status it would not be a, a present quality of it so we would ask the question will village bible church allow a divorced man to serve as an elder and the answer is possibly yes and we do have divorced men who serve but here's the criteria for that number one are they in their current marriage have they shown a fidelity for a long enough period of time that we can say of their current marriage they are faithful to their wife that they are a model in their current relationship a model to all marriages in the church but that's true of me When you look at Tim, I've not been divorced, and you're going to look and you say, is Tim's marriage to Amanda a model of ministry? You're going to do that whether I'm divorced or not. So here's the question that then comes up for divorce guys, and that's going to be this. What is the current standing of your your previous spouse? Because the Bible says that as an elder, you have to have a good standing within the church and outside of the church. And so we're going to ask the question... Okay, now if we appoint you as elder, is a former spouse going to come and say, this guy's a dirt and rotten, filthy scoundrel, and have evidence to that fact? If so, you shouldn't be an elder. Do you have kids that would say, my father left me, and now you're going to appoint him as that? He's a deadbeat dad. We're going to have to look into that. And so, yes, our divorced men can serve and are serving within the body of Village Bible Church, but they're going to be under greater scrutiny because the Bible demands that we look at all of a man's life, not just the present standing, and to make sure that things in the past are, in fact, done and dealt with in the past. Let's move on. We've got to keep moving here. What about socialing? Socially, As we look at a man's life, we're going to ask the question, how is he doing in life in general? Now notice what Timothy, I'm sorry, Timothy, Titus is told. Titus is told that an a, uh, overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be, notice the must not be's, arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain. So as you look at your elders, you should be able to do a, a quick test and say, these are things that are not true of them. But what are true of them? He goes on and he says, But we should be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And so we start doing this and we start seeing all this and we ask the question, Is this man spiritually mature in these ways? Is he qualified to serve in this way? And here's why this is so important. Notice what he says. He says in verse 9, We must... He must, I'm sorry, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught that he might give instruction and in sound doctrine and be able to rebuke those who contradict it. I want you to notice, there's a trust, trustworthy word that is taught. What the elder's job is to do is to tell the people of God, God's will for his people. And it needs to be Trustworthy. It needs to be something that is laid forth. We have been entrusted with God's work. Elders, listen to me. We have been given the job. Listen, this is so important. Jesus died for the bride and left the bride in our care. And he said, I'm coming back and my job for you is to make sure that it's as if I never left. Think about that, elders. Jesus left us with his church and he says treat them and guide them and minister to them as if they would know I never left This is our job This is what we've been entrusted with this is not something we just volunteer we take on this is a calling that we've received So what are we to do? We're to care for the flock number four We're to care for the flock and be able to be capable to teach others So I don't have a lot of time here. Let's just go through these quickly. We'll just lay them out. Uh, We need to first be engaged in people's lives. So one of the things that we've asked all our elders to do is to lead a small group. So every week, every one of our elders across all our campuses gets his flock together, and they study the Bible, and they pray, And they counsel and encourage one another. And they're there to equip. And they're there to communicate the things of the church. And they are there. And they're inviting all of you to be a part of it. So you, every person, at some point, if you've called Village Bible Church your home, you've got an invitation from an elder who has said, I want you to come and be a part of where my flock meets on a weekly basis. I want you to study the Word with me. I want you to pray with me. I want you to fellowship with me. I want to be here to serve you. And so every week of every month, we have elders gathering together, bringing their flock together to do that. They're engaged in people's lives. What are they to do when they're involved in people's lives? Two things. They are to encourage, and they are to exhort. Second, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy... I'm sorry all mixed up today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 shows us the pattern of ministry of elders. And in there he says you are to encourage and to exhort. In modern vernacular, you are to hug and bug. Hug and bug. Elders are to be affectionate towards you while we are asking hard questions. So an elder's conversation with you should be this. How are things going? And they're not expecting you to give a generic answer. They are given to confidentiality. They are given to sobriety. So when they say, how are you doing? How's your marriage? How are the kids? How's your walk with the Lord? They're not asking for, yeah, things are great. Let's talk about the bears, They are individuals who are entrusted with your soul, the Bible says. So help them with that. They're going to bug you. And the reason why is God's told them to bug you. So don't be like, this is none of your business. It's altogether their business. They've been called, they've been designated by this church for this purpose. Finally, the last two things they need to be is established in doctrine, they need to be students of the word. So that they can educate others. So there's a lot more. Look to your QR code. There's a ton. We haven't talked about their wives. What's the role they have. And the wives play a huge role at Village Bible Church. Because they have a direct ministry to the women of our church. And so we have a whole uh, set of values and qualifications in, in uh, Titus. And also in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for the wives of the elders. What about deacons? We have the deacon role, and we've changed the title because deacon comes with a lot of baggage to it of what it means and doesn't mean in churches. And we call our deacons ministry directors. And their job is to serve and, and do the ministry of the church. And we have great deacons or ministry directors that are serving in that way. But let's stop here because we're out of time. And I want to do two things I want to give a word to our elders and a word to everybody else. So if you serve as an elder here at the Sugar Grove campus, would you stand? I know some of you are in here. Go ahead and stand. Okay? So I've got a word for you. Okay? And this isn't, by by the way, all of them. They've been represented in each of the uh, services. But gentlemen, you have been given a call and a charge from God. A holy calling to not just look to your spiritual well-being, but also the well-being of the people not only in this service, but all the services and all the people that call Village Bible Church their home. Do it well. Do it as if Jesus himself was doing the shepherding. Think like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Care like Jesus would. The book of Ezekiel 34 speaks of the leaders of their day and Ezekiel the prophet said this, strengthen the weak, Heal the sick. Bind up the wounded. Bring back the strays. And search for the lost. Make that your commitment. Know that you do it with other men. And you do it in a a team of individuals. You're not alone. Stay close to your God. Love your wife. Pursue your children. And God says you will receive a blessing of great glory. Can we show our appreciation for these men? So how about you? How about you, everyone else here? You're not an elder. You're like, well, that was a great sermon for them. I hope they know their job, okay? Let me give you just a couple things, and I'll close. Number one, would you use the list of qualifications for your own life of holiness? Would you go through those qualifications this week, and and maybe you'll never serve as an elder? But could you ask, and could you look and say, Lord, how am I doing at these things? Am I above reproach? Don't you think all God's people should be above reproach? Don't you you think all married people should be uh, lovers of their spouses? They should be faithful uh, to their children. That they shouldn't be arrogant, quick-tempered. They shouldn't be drunks. They shouldn't be violent. They shouldn't be for greedy gain. But shouldn't we be, as Christians, hospitable lovers of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined make that those your qualifications of your walk with the Lord. But when it comes to the elders in your midst, can you do a couple things? Would you respect them? They've gone through a painstaking process of being elected here. They are many men who deserve our respect. And if they don't, then they need to be disciplined. If they can't, then they need to be removed. And we take that very seriously as elders. Number two, and this is the hard one, Hebrews 13, 17, would you submit to their godly leadership? And I add that adjective godly to it. If anybody asks you to drink the Kool-Aid, you tell them no. King Jesus says no way. We're not a cult. But the Bible says that as we faithfully shepherd the sheep, the flock should follow. The flock should follow. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5:25, Would you pray for us? Would you pray for us? Would you pray for our walks with the Lord, that we would not bring any dishonor to not only our own testimony, but the testimony of this church? Would you pray for our relationships with our wives? Would you pray that we are lovers of our wives, that our wives are tended to and cared for, that they are ministered to as husbands ought to minister to their wives? Would you pray for our kids? Would you pray our households would be places where the gospel's being lived out in both word and deed? Would you pray for us while we're at work? Would you pray for us while we're at play? Would you pray for us? And when you're done praying for us, would you pray for us some more?